the thing we have to cross. These are the voyages of the USS Horizon, its ongoing mission to seek out new life, to swear it was on stun the whole time, and to boldly claim we can fix it. Hello, terrible listeners. Welcome to a special episode of Terrible Warriors. We're not uh, actually going to play a game in the next uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes here. We are uh, sitting down to, uh, the title says, Star Trek Adventures, Aaron Palia. So you already know that part. We are sitting down with one of the writers behind Star Trek Adventures, but I am not alone here at my table. Gathered around me is our only member of the Horizon who wants to wake up early on a Saturday morning. He's the most diligent member of the crew, uh, working the night shift. Working every shift. This is Velvet Duke. I'm with the Dandies. We do Holodeck Follies and other fandom improvised shows. Uh, but yeah. uh, in this, I am the science officer. Uh, Your lasso bow. I, I am. I cross all those T's. Mm-hmm. Yep, cross all those T's, uh, and uh, every, every, everything has a, you have a strong... Uh, strong, 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 strong paw. Strong paw. Yes. So they, uh, uh, what was fun is when we when we interviewed Jim Johnson, I had Joshua, uh, who's our Commander Haddock, sitting with us, and now interviewing Aaron. But Aaron Palia, who is, uh, you can kind of hear him uh, in the background there laughing to velvet yeah. jokes. Uh, uh, Aaron, you uh, are on the writing team for Star Trek Adventures. You wrote Tug of War that we just finished playing. I hate yes, you. I did. Uh, and also, uh, uh, you're, you've written the very next campaign that we're doing. We're, today, we're about to sit down to record Signals, but the one right after it uh, is, is also penned by you. Um, so let's just start uh, uh, with uh, who you are. Um, I, I know you've got a lot more background in tabletop and in gaming that goes goes back decades. And so uh, uh, yeah. say, say hello. Well, hi. Uh, like you said, I'm Aaron Pallier. Um, I've been a freelance writer for uh, a few game companies. Uh, not many, but uh, for probably around a decade now. Um, mainly science fiction. Uh, actually, all science fiction, let's be honest. Uh, Battletech, uh, Star Trek, things like that. Um, before that, I've probably uh, been a gamer since I was around you know, 10 years old. Uh, I remember playing uh, tabletop gaming and RPGs you know, back in, into middle school and before. Um, I remember the old fastest Star Trek role-playing game. Uh, if you ever, <laughs> if you're that old, if that doesn't date me, I don't know what I, I does. But yeah, I mentioned this in the past. That was actually the reason we never played Star Trek before on the show is that was the only option available other than homebrewing. And I was very close to homebrewing Star Trek based on uh, uh, other uh, game mechanics out there. Uh, one in particular called Machine Zeit, but that's more of a mm. dead space survival horror kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and, and and so I thought of doing more of like a horror themed uh, Star Trek episode, which have certainly been done. Um, yeah. And uh, and then right when I was ready to be like, we're doing Star Trek someday, then Modiphius announced Star Trek Adventures. And I was like, yes, we have this. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah I was excited when I, he- I heard that announcement. I, of course, put together, mm-hmm. I, I put together a, a, a quick breakdown of, of uh, what I've written before and sent it off to Modiphius and said, hey, this is, this is my dream. I've been wanting to write Star Trek forever. Uh, and, and like you, I had actually started homebrewing something, um, but not for an RPG, but uh, kind of along the same lines of Starfleet battles, mm-hmm. except not a, uh, not a dictionary, an unabridged dictionary of rules, more like, hey, here's 20 pages of rules, here's how to play, go. 
Nice. Um, and like, and you know, I said... actually similar to Jim Johnson's uh, history as well. I, we were talking with him. He'd been homebrewing Star Trek for years as well. I, I feel like this is a universal theme among tabletop Trekkies that <laughs> we've been having a scrounge. Yes. <laughs> like, a, like in the wastelands to try and put together this, these games until, until now it's all sort of come together. Yeah, and, and it's, it's both for RPG and like a, a, a tactical type game. It's difficult to find something that fits well with the universe. And that's why, as a fan, you end up trying to homebrew it. Uh, I mean, there are, there are options out there, but they're far and few between, and sometimes they just don't fit your idea of what Star Trek should be. It might be two rules heavy or two rules light. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Modivius here has, has kind of strung the needle, you know, uh, threaded the needle. Yeah, it is a balancing act. Uh, when I was just looking at different, like, what rule set could we bootstrap Star Trek to, it, it can be quite difficult because Star Trek is not just social encounters like a Powered by Apocalypse game. It's also not just combat simulation like in something more like Dungeons & Dragons. It, mm -hmm, it straddles mm -hmm. both of that. You have both of that diplo diplomatic character introspection with fire all phasers. So you need to be able to... Like simulate both, both of those yeah. game styles, um, yes, uh, uh, with with just as much heft to it. Uh, and being Trekkies, we also want to get into the nitty gritty and 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 chomp down on the techno babble and and how things oh, work yeah. if we can. And, and chew the seed. So you can't just do something like uh, like <laughs> Edge uh, like Edge of the Empire's Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. It works for Star Wars, but it's also not sciency enough yes. for the technology side. Yeah, it's, it's not so crunchy. Much more Star Trek, mm -hmm. exactly. Like I I don't need to know how hyperspace works, but I do need to know how the antimatter mix ratio is right. in engineering. So <laughs> one to one. There is no other there is no other ratio. Well not if you want to survive. No, yeah, no, yeah. Or, or unless you got some like parallel world overlapping things going on where it's like we should have blown up, but this yeah. risk ratio is off. That's not possible. Yeah. Um, that's weird, yeah. That's weird. So uh, let's go down to tug of war. You wouldn't know this, um, but uh, we uh, had a time with this game, and now a part of it was on my side. Um, we had been playing through several games where I'd gone very kind of loosey goosey with the rules, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. I found myself in a situation where I needed to be able to really follow through with the combat roles appropriately, or else mm -hmm. be cheating out my players of a scene while they're trying to survive against these repulsor beams, uh, mm -hmm. and I failed. Real bad. We went through uh, uh, like uh, an hour of recording before I looked at players going like, can we just uh, rewind this entire hour and do that again? Because it sucked. Uh, and, and we broke for a week and I went over the rules and we came back and tried it again. Um, it, was, uh, it was a challenge for me for the first time having to flip through and, and, and learn how ship combat works, especially without the shields mm -hmm. up. Um, but even when it was done, though, when, when, we, when, we, when I figured out the rules... It was really satisfying getting. Yes. Uh, we we didn't we didn't think outside the box, but uh, uh, mm -hmm. we just did our jobs, got everything working. We had everyone up on the bridge, you know, working with the deflector beam down in engineering, then powering the engines back up, back up to the bridge as they punched their way out of the the trap. Um, and and everyone kind of had a a role one after another where they all needed to be the strong link in the chain. But that was satisfying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was by by doing that rewind we ended up putting the tension in the right place, yeah. which was, I need to get my work done so that you can get yours done. And everybody had, because everybody had their piece, it wasn't uh, everyone sitting around waiting for somebody else to be the hero. Yeah. We were all the hero together. Yeah. 
Because the mechanics were already taken care yeah. of. And I loved the balance between Act 1 and 2 where you get the first bit where you're just exploring the planet and being Starfleet yeah. officers and learning mm-hmm. the history. Yeah. Geeking out. You're geeking, you're, and you're all geeking yeah. out. Even yeah. the ones at our table who aren't Star Trek fans or have a background, we're like, oh, this is, I love this. this is, we're into it. And then we're breaking orbit because I've given them, you know, like another mission to go to and uh, 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 that we spent a whole hour just like trying not to die. Um, yeah. Uh, that that was kind of my intent, at least, with what I wanted to do with the first part of the episode. I wanted to have uh, the players have kind of an experience that they would have had maybe in an original series episode, where you're beaming down to a planet, but, you know, World War III has happened, and there's just ruins everywhere. What, what do we learn from this? And the story behind these two species, one that was a xenophile and one that was a xenophobe, but the xenophile didn't understand that other culture and tried to uplift them and how it bit them in the butt in the end. There was that moment where, I'm sure it's different for everyone who's played through Tug of War, but there's that moment where the light switches and you go, oh, it's a prime directive moral story. And, uh, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's all about finding, as I put it for my players, finding the corner piece in the puzzle. Uh, and so they're all working. Some are down on the planet. Some are investigating the, the, the space station ruins. And uh, others are, are looking through their sensor logs. And, and they're all taking all the information they're getting and putting them together in the, in, in, in the lab. Uh, and then it was uh, they find the corner piece. All their technology is the same on both planets, mm-hmm. except one is more concentrated than the other. They inherited it from the first planet. And, uh, uh, and they start figuring out. And, I, and, and it, it, it's a balancing act for the GM, and I'm sure it must have been challenging f- to write it, to not give the answers, but to at least hold enough crumbs on the floor that they know there are answers to be found, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, then, and then hand it out to them as they search in those, in those corners. Yeah, I, I think that the it's a little easier than you think as a writer because, well, at least in this case, in, in your example, because I can give the whole story, and I think I fairly well do in, in the actual adventure. I give the story to the GM. This is kind of what happened. But when you break it down into the acts of, you know, here's how the players can find these things, that's where you have to... Um, be a little more picky and a little more intricate about how you, how you play that out. Um, you, you as the writer already have the story. You can share it. But making sure that it's not just handed out on a plate to the players is... That's, yeah, that's where it takes mm-hmm. yes. a little more effort. Stretch, stretching it out over mm-hmm. that course of the hour. And then, and then when they finally got that final piece, there was this moment, I think, oh, went around, oh, <laughs> this isn't mm-hmm. just an mm-hmm. asteroid bombardment. It wasn't yeah. natural. Uh, it was, uh, uh, it was a, a mutually assured destruction. And yeah, and a- at least when I originally wrote it, it was supposed to be more of the, the, xena, uh, the xenophobe species attacked first. Um, I, I think that probably still came through in, it did, in yeah, yeah that that they attacked but, first, but the, but the happened, other species, yeah. yeah, once it started, there was no they turning toast to, back yeah. to bread at that yeah. point. Exactly. That, at that point, it was, you know, if there were uh, survivors on, of the Rololo, uh, Rololo Shal, 
that they would be uh, they would attack back anyway, and if not, it would be automated defenses at that point. You know, kind of a dead man switch. It was mm-hmm. kind of a neat thing. I think Mass Effect has touched on using like giant moons to crash into planets as well as like weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. and rather than just going for like the the trope of nuclear weapons and using just well, we cleared out the asteroid belt and threw it into each other's planets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> as Sir, we're going around the sun, we're just <laughs> grabbing them. And as Mass Effect, as they said, Mass Effect. Sir Isaac Newton is the deadliest son of a bitch in space. <laughs> so it was, uh, uh, and and uh, it was kind of this neat because it's not something that anyone was expecting. They were like, you know, there's no radiation fallout, but the planet's still going through a nuclear winter. Um, uh, yeah, this, yeah. Like, because they they this wasn't a nuclear war, but it was still uh, it was still you know a, 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 an extinction level event, and so. Was, uh, in many ways, worse than a nuclear war. In many ways, because yeah. the planet is now, uh, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, completely sterile or soon to be. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely dying out. I, I said both the planets were, uh, the oceans are starting to freeze over because of the, 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 yeah, the post-impact eco- winter. The mm-hmm. ecosystem has been shattered. Anything that's alive will eventually just uh, make its way out stage left event, uh, yeah, in, in yeah. about a generation. So when we uh, when we first beamed down, because we were talking about the climate in that way, yeah. I think the sense for all of us, and definitely for me, was that oh, there's this is a rescue mission. There's still people that we can uh, we can save, yeah. and th- but you just you kept having to reiterate this is something that happened this was, millennia this ago. Was, this was yeah, hundreds of thousands of yeah. years. Like you come across. So I, I I had one of your subordinates enter into a cave and finding like well, it looks like they did survive for maybe a generation in caves. Right. But that was still before yes. humans were in the Bronze Age. So, <laughs> yeah. And the only reason anything survived at all is, um, I don't know if I mentioned it in in the actual adventure that, you know, maybe it has been a hundred thousand years or something like that, and there won't really be buildings left. The only things that are going to be left are these, uh, either buildings that have been buried under ice and preserved that way or deep underground. And there might be some technology still left just because they had fusion reactors or these really powerful uh, nuclear batteries that might still be trickling out power. And even if it's one piece of technology out of 100 billion, Starfleet sensors are going to pick that up anyway. And you're going to find it. It's just going to be very rare. So the... uh, uh how has it been writing that story and putting it out in the wild and having other people now play through it? Like, we're, we're several months since that's been released, and it's been, you know, the surveys have come back and stuff. Our, our solution wasn't anything, like, it was a solution. It got us out of a, a, yeah. a jam. Have there been any, have you heard any really out-of-the-box, um, wacky, what's, what's one of your favorite solutions that you've heard back from people who've played through this game? Um, you know, I, I haven't really encountered any, any reports of people going really wacky on it. I've, I've, I've heard of one, uh, one group, uh, bringing up their shields to full power, still being trapped and then trying to launch photon torpedoes. And I, I think I specifically even mentioned in there that, you know, Hey, launching photon torpedoes, that's kind of a bad idea, but at least they had their shields up when the photon torpedoes got pushed back into them. They ended up going for the safer option, but one of the ideas yeah. they almost went with was launching all the shuttle crafts. Cause we're on a galaxy class ships. We've got like 20 mm-hmm. plus like 40 crafts or something in the, in the shuttle bay, launching them all out daisy chain with all the battery packs and trying to create enough mass to trick the targeting sensors yes. on that just to, uh, all you need is a fraction of a moment. I was like, these things are tiny. These, these, these beams are designed to grab yeah. moons. You'd need something larger than a galaxy class ship 
Uh, but I mean, of course, there was always the saucer separation you could have tried to look yeah. into and, and a few mm-hmm. other uh, ways. But that would might have meant leaving part of your ship behind. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flying off with just the star drive. <laughs> so. I, I figured that most people would try like a deflector dish, uh, you know, type thing. I specifically mentioned constructive and deconstructive interference of waveforms since these pieces of technology. Well, we're all, we're all radio people, yeah. too, so we're like, okay, yeah. cool, noise cancelling, and yeah. Uh, yeah. we can get our heads around that. Um, uh, so, uh, coming on to, to writing for Star Trek, you've got another a- adventure we're going to be playing after Signals. Um, uh, anything to tease and scare my science officer with? Um, the, this is, it's another science-y type mission. That's kind of what I like to write. I don't like to write combat missions, per se. Um, I like to write things that will make you think about what's going on. So there will be a couple different kinds of science in the next, uh, the next mission. Let's just say a, a social science and then some high-tech stuff. Yeah, I really, uh, uh, I really liked playing through a campaign where we've done a number now where we're meeting other characters and interacting with other species, and then we come to this planet, and it was just the ship. It was almost a bottle episode in that yeah. way, uh, mm-hmm. because there's, there's no guest stars. There's just this, this ancient place, mm-hmm. and a puzzle, and then a trap, and, uh, uh, and, then, and, then, and then we leave. <laughs> and there's, yeah. No, yeah. You know, there's a lesson to be learned, but there was no adversary. There was no one to help or assist. It was just, it was just us. Uh, and, yes. And Signals is going to be quite different. They don't know the story, but I do. Um, uh, is uh, it, it, in, in, in the same way that the repulsor beams versus the starship were very adversarial for the GM, uh, th- this, this game that we're about to play, I know, is, is I'm in a way playing my own game off to the side trying to outrun the mm. players at the table, which is, which is going to be kind of fun. I hope I can, like split my brain up into those three or four different places they need to be <laughs> to, to pull it all off. That's, that's awesome. Um, I think that there's going to be a couple more of my missions that I've written that are standalones uh, that can be put into uh, Adventures in the Shackleton Expanse, but also uh, can just be fit anywhere in anyone's adventures. There should be at least a couple. Yeah, have Boy, any, I've written a lot. <laughs> have you, uh, has any of your adventures, are, are you part of the, uh, the, the uh, these are the voyages uh, rule sets that are uh, standalone okay, well, released? Um, I have, let's see here, I, I need to look at that. I don't think I wrote any of those. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I did not, yeah. Uh, there, there are some standalone things that uh, have not been released yet, though. But, but your, your yeah. story here that you, uh, you, you, you just, you sent in a pitch, you said, I know that the, uh, uh, Modifius and uh, 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 Jim mentioned it when we when we were talking to him last time. Jim Johnson that um, uh, they are one of the few publishers out there, if maybe the only one, that allows you to pitch without an agent uh, uh, story ideas. Uh, and uh, uh, I kind of love that. That that's a, a, a spirit of Star Trek going all the way back to I think even the original series, mm-hmm. if it not at least the Next Generation, where they did allow unsolicited pitches from from anyone uh yeah. for for stories yes. and episodes like measure of a man uh are are one of the great examples of one of those sor- sort of pitches and uh i think a mm-hmm. few i don't remember if it was uh uh one of the showrunners if it was rondy moore maybe who got his start in a similar way pitching an idea into star trek that might be apocryphal i don't know hmm, hmm. yeah no i mean it was I, I, I loved having the opportunity to even have the chance to throw something out there into the into the wild uh, of something that I wrote for uh, for Star Trek. 
I'm just glad that Modiphius uh, saw it and said, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about in some ways. <laughs> um, let's get him to, uh, let's get him to write. And I, I didn't actually start with uh, writing these adventures. I, I, I wrote a chunk of the core book and some of the more crunchy stuff in the core book. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm, Let's see here. I, I wrote most of the starships. So if, if you have oh, well, all the starships, actually. Mm -hmm. I just read through that one night, just flipping through the, the uh, histories. And, yeah, and they, they, they asked me to make these little short stories for the starships as well. And I said, okay, no problem. I can, I, I can try that. I, I haven't written a lot of short fiction like that, but we'll try it. And I guess they like that, too. So I, wrote, I'm pretty proud of some of those. Did you write the part where it, the Galaxy-class ship that we chose for, for the USS Horizon, uh, the chapter in the book, calls the galaxy the beacon of hope and yeah was that you yeah, yeah that, that they came <laughs> in and um the bringers of yeah, hope the bringers yes. of hope yeah, yeah that this, this yeah the, just the outline of a galaxy class mm. ship is just this iconic yeah absolutely ship. that was me i was like mm -hmm. oh i i loved every oh i loved those because it, it as much as i like going through memory alpha i have to hand it to to you and everyone who worked on the core book um it's not just academic information yes. on Star Trek. It captures so much of the spirit of this is the prime directive, the history of the Federation, mm -hmm. here's the ships, the, the species, the, um, the equipment, e every single thing. It, even when it's not in character, it's still full of so much flavor and context that I could go to Memory Alpha and read about Galaxy-class ships, but I'm just going to get the Wikipedia entry on that. Whereas when I read about the Galaxy-class ships in the core book, I'm learning not just what they are, but what they mean. Yeah. And that, yeah, part of the part of the pitch that uh, when you said, "Hey, do you want to join in on on this?" Uh, the way that Justin, the way you were reading out these little pieces, these mm -hmm. little teasers, uh, showing it a, a perspective not from a historian standing back. It's no. it's one of the species, one of the people who have been on board, or one of the, you know interacting with with each other. Yeah, a colonist who was yeah. rescued by this ship. Or a, and that was such a it was such a great point of uh, point of view, a perspective. Uh, so kudos. Yeah, no, thanks. I I really think that. Star Trek grows very well when it, it, it actually has viewpoints outside of that which would be our viewpoint, a yes. human viewpoint, or, or well, let's say Vulcan viewpoint. I, you can add stuff into it, obviously, from all of those, but when you see something from outside the Federation going, okay, well, this is what they say they are, and this is what they show that they are through their right. actions and, and yeah. deeds. There's like three that makes it more powerful. Yeah, there's like three different perspectives on the Prime Directive right after you read about the Prime Directive. And even one of them is from a Starfleet captain going, I understand why we've got it, but some days it sucks. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and then other groups like the Ferengi mocking, like they just want to talk. You just keep them talking, you can steal everything from under them. And uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, uh, for someone who's not a fan of Star Trek or doesn't have a strong history in it, I still think they could pick up the core book, read through it, and, and get the feel that they could run it for their Trekkie friends. Uh, and, and I think oh, that's a really authentic experience. Um, <laughs> Aaron, uh, you also mentioned uh, Mike Dodd. He, he's another uh, contributor on the show, one of the founders on Terrible Warriors and a GM for uh, a spinoff show we're doing called The Cambridge Chronicles. He's getting ready to run through a Battletech game of his own. So when he okay. found out that I was talking to you and looked up your name and went, oh, he's, he's written for Battletech. He, Mike did have a couple questions. If you want, I could just rapid fire them sure. off of you. Uh, sure. I don't know Battletech at all, so your answers aren't going to mean anything to me. Uh, but listeners want to know, what era of Battletech 
do you like writing for the most? Ooh. I, well, boy, that's, that's tough. I like Star League <laughs> era. I like the Star League era, which is the 28th century. Now, this means nothing to me. Inner okay. sphere or clan? Inner sphere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, what's your favorite mech design and tonnage class? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, my favorite mech design, because it's awful. It is awful, and it's just a, such a joy because it's so awful, is the Shadowhawk. I absolutely love that mech. Uh, it's medium. It's a medium mech. It's 55 tons. See, I can, I can go into all this. And it, it means nothing to you. But my favorite, my favorite weight class would probably be actually a light mech. This is just revenge for all the Star Trek techno nonsense I have sure. I I abused towards my other players. And like, I don't oh, understand what these things are. Uh, I can do the techno babble too. Hey, I wrote those starships. Uh, you yes. can tell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? Now, this is actually really interesting. Uh, you're uh, both a writer and character in Battletech. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit. You have a canonical character named Gravedigger. Yes, that's my call sign that I've I used in um, Battletech forever. So if I was in like a, a competition or a tournament, my pilot's call sign was Gravedigger. So um, since I've been a part of the, the Battletech community for so long, um, they ended up writing me in as a uh, notable pilot for a, a, a mech called the Gravedigger. Uh, it was a grasshopper mech and it was specially designed. Yeah. That's really, really neat. Uh, the uh, grave digger in Terrible Warrior mythology is also the name of our war bus from After the Bomb. Uh, so we, uh, we created this giant truck that we just plowed through everything, everything. and then ended up equipping it to go into space. So <laughs> it also, okay. and, then, and then I think they blew up the moon. So, uh, so it's a party bus. It's, yeah. it's, it's the party <laughs> bus. It's Fortnite. Uh, it's the battle bus from Fortnite. Um, so the last question Mike wanted to ask, what are your thoughts? There's a new box set coming out for Battletech later this year. Do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, great that it's coming out. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm, it's been a long time since there's been an, a box set for Battletech. So. Great, cool. All right. Uh, last, last bits here. Uh, the Living Campaign, uh, I understand there's, there's, there's work going off even into a second season. Um, yes. Uh, they, they, they've revamped the website, which looks gorgeous now. It's so much easier to get on and get the adventures rather than the mailing list it used to be. And, um, and now uh, uh, and, and, uh, I've got the pre-order for the command book and the beta quadrant book and looking forward yes. to, to sinking my teeth into those as well. Um, tell us about, is there, what, what, what can, come on, spill the beans. Is there any, uh, any, 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 meaty stuff about the living campaign what 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 is going on with with all these hidden little secrets in each campaign uh, that why are all the dna on the same on both of those worlds the same and what was going on with that portal in the convoy world and Aaron, uh, what's happening know, i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna <laughs> spoil anything but with what you've played so far theoretically if you just finished tug of war there is enough clues there for a person to put together an idea of what's going what what has happened what what is going on now and what is led up to that i don't want to say you you'll have all the clues yet but it's pretty clear something strange is going on to the shackleton expanse mm -hmm. and it's going to open up a lot through, more we haven't been playing the 23rd century side of the yes. living campaign if we were playing those would we have an even greater context of might you might, it might, it might have, uh, you might have the ability to actually have more 
more clues, but I've, I've I don't know the if it reports and they're really uh, interesting covering like mega structures across the galaxy and all these kinds of things. So yeah, like... <laughs> I have I have at least a couple adventures that have mega structures <laughs> of some sort. Um, yeah, I, I like I like strange ideas clearly. Um, but yeah, no, if you if you've been doing the twenty third century uh, missions, you might have a couple extra clues. Um, I don't know if you would be all the way better off um, knowing what's going on yet, but it would just be a slightly different perspective on the same kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you even go through the core book, the core book, it has nothing to do with the, the actual missions, but there's artwork in there that suggests what's going on in the Shackleton Expanse. Yeah, I believe I, I, some of the some of the splash pages have been used now in the quick start rules for the signals campaign we're about to play. Yes. So yes. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've got some of the printouts here for for my players around. I think signals is going to be one of those opening of at least a crack into checking out Pandora's box just a little bit. Yeah. Just open it up, just to see what's inside. And there should be a, uh, some more information in in uh, We Are the Stars oh, of okay. of what's going on, what's going on. Um, I don't know if any of your characters will actually get another one of the... There's a couple clues in this, Mm -hmm. but there's one that's special. Well, they're not going to learn anything because they're all going to die in the next three hours. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I I, want to say that it depends on what your your species is. Let's put it that way. Well, Aaron, you hold your cards close to your chest. Um... Thank you for joining us here for this chat and for uh, giving us like an extended debrief on the tug yeah. of war game. Uh, thank you for writing that game. Can't wait to play your next one. Um, where can we find you? I'm on Facebook. I'm Aaron Pollier on Facebook. I'm the only one. <laughs> it's not a very common last name, so I'm easy to find. Yeah, thank you for commenting on our posts. And I was like, oh, there can only be one of these. So yeah, <laughs> no, not a problem. <laughs> I, I'm really happy to see uh, people enjoying what I wrote. That that really does give me joy. That okay, I'm I'm actually entertaining somebody. Uh, yeah, that makes me that made me feel great. So I had to comment um, and thank you for playing. Thank you. No, it's uh, it it was a pleasure. Uh, it was tense. I hate. Love you, and uh, keep keep up the good work. Well, our captain and our comms officer have just arrived, so we're ready to sit down and play Signals. Uh, Aaron, thank you for your time, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, here for this uh, this short little half hour. Aaron Pollier uh, writes for Star Trek Adventures, wrote the Tug of War adventure, uh, is not the author of the Signals game that we're about to get into, but is the author of the one immediately after that, so we'll be coming back into your world shortly. And uh, as all things, um, tune in for the next episode, the first episode of Signals. The crew of the USS Horizon return. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can head over to the Patreon page right now. We have a pre-brief that we have recorded where I have terrified everyone at the table uh, and given them their new uh, marching orders. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I have been uh, your uh, host. That's weird. I'm normally on the Game Master. Justin Eacock, joined by my side with... Velvet Duke from the Dandies. And, of course... Oh, Aaron Pollier. From Michigan, actually. I'm not that far from Toronto. Not that far, actually. I've driven through Michigan a few times, actually. Uh, Whenever whenever I I cross the border and and start driving really fast to MAGFest. So, uh, have a great day, Aaron. uh, And uh, thanks thanks again for joining us. All right, thank you. All right, I'm going to swap everything around, get ready for this game. Mm -hmm.